Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, until last week, no U.S. president had ever been indicted on criminal charges. But now the one has, how might it change this election cycle and alter presidential politics moving forward? We'll take a closer look. Also this morning, it's National Wildlife Week. Reminder that we share our planet with all sorts of wonderful animals and the importance of protecting it and them so we all can thrive. Massive amounts of rain and snow this season have eased drought concerns in the American West, but one-fourth of the global population remains under intense water stress. And avoiding the sprains and strains that come with increased physical activity in the spring and how to deal with those injuries when they happen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, April 3rd, 2023. So on this Monday morning, uh, not going to be a very good day for some folks at uh, Mickey D's. You hear about this? A big McShakeup at the world's largest fast food company. McDonald's Corporation, this was the uh, story that I saw on the Newswire. McDonald's Corporation is temporarily closing its U.S. offices this week as it prepares to inform corporate employees about its layoffs as part of a broader company restructuring, according to the Wall Street Journal. Now, of course, this is, again, not the restaurants. Most of those are independently owned, franchised. So we're not talking about the individual restaurants. We're talking about McDonald's corporate. Um, In an internal email, excuse me, this is the uh, story. In an internal email last week to U.S. corporate employees and some international staff as well, McDonald's asked them to work from home Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week so it can deliver staffing decisions virtually. Isn't that nice? (laughs) Everybody work from home, and we'll send you an email if you've been fired. That's basically what the... uh, You know, if you're going to lay somebody off, at least have the decency to do it to them face-to-face. You know what I mean? Sending an email, that's just the, the cheap way out. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm old school. If you're going to ax someone from their job, at least have the decency to do it in person. You know what I mean? Um, but they don't do that now. Uh, story goes on to say it's unclear how many employees be laid off. Uh, but the Chicago based company said in the Company-wide email, during the week of April 3rd, we will communicate key decisions related to roles and staffing levels across the organization. McDonald's also asked employees to cancel all in-person meetings with vendors and other outside parties at its headquarters. So they are they're not kidding around here. <laughs> it's, it's, it could be a, a big, big mix shakeup at, uh, at McDonald's. But I just thought... Wow. Okay, everybody work from home for the uh, next three days, and we'll let you know if you've got a job moving forward. That's not nice. That's it. Um, speaking of food, they say breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and now Cup of Noodles is making it even easier, bringing you their version of breakfast with a new Cup of Noodles breakfast. It's a limited-time item. Made available in 3,000 Walmart stores. It says it delivers the full American breakfast experience in noodle form, according to the description. So if you don't have time for breakfast, if that's your, if that's what's holding you back, you say you don't have time for breakfast, everyone has time for a cup of noodles. These shelf-stable, shelf-stable ramen noodles are covered in a sweet and savory sauce that tastes like a warm stack of pancakes coated melted butter and delicious maple syrup. (laughs) All in noodle form. Doesn't that sound yummy? Also comes loaded with 8 grams of protein from real scrambled egg and sausage to fill you up the most important meal of the day. No excuses for skipping breakfast anymore. But for a limited time. Although it's shelf-stable, so you can stock up and you can probably have them forever. You know what I mean? That would be... Anyway. Um, TikTok's traveling grannies are back home again. Have you been following this? I saw this story the other day. Uh, this is absolutely fabulous. Ellie Hamby and Sandy Hazlip came up with the idea 
to travel around the world in 80 days. You know, that old, uh, little movie around the world in 80 days. Well, they decide we're going to do, we're going to do that. We're going to around the world in 80 days. Uh, they intended to do it for their 80th birthday. And, uh, this year they actually finally made it happen. They're 81, but, uh, it's still impressive. They've been friends for decades and so they decided they're going to travel. They hit all seven continents, taking an enthusiastic fan base along for the ride on TikTok. Uh, they say they hope to inspire future generations and help people realize it is never too late to travel the world. I love their message. They said, you know, just get up off your couch and do it. That was their message. Just get up off the couch and do it. Traveling grannies made it home safe. That's pretty cool. Following all of their adventures on TikTok. By the way, speaking of uh, TikTok, you know, there's the uh, the story, and we were talking about it uh, last week, very much uh, in the news. Uh, would TikTok, should TikTok be banned? Well, a new CBS News poll finds that 61% of Americans believe that, uh, well, 61% of respondents, it says here, want TikTok to disappear. They believe that TikTok should go, 61%. That's two out of three. But some influencers, and this is what we were talking about last week, some influencers are pushing back on this because they're making, a lot of people are making a good chunk of money uh, off of their posts on TikTok. And these influencers say their free speech is being threatened. Uh, TikTok globally has... Over 1 billion monthly active users and 150 million of them in the U.S., at least according to their data, which is difficult to confirm. So that number may or may not be accurate, but they say 150 million users in the United States. And I believe it because it seems like everybody's on TikTok. Uh, Congress is currently debating a bill that would remove the popular app from app marketplaces and become unstable on smartphones. Fighting for TikTok is not fighting for an app. It's fighting for the right to speak. This according to Gavin Dees. He is an influencer with one million TikTok followers. Um, but on the other hand, parents cite concerns over privacy, child safety, dangerous trends, even body dysmorphia, and self-esteem issues. Uh, the... Long and short of it is this, we don't know when uh, TikTok might, re might be removed, when or if. Currently, Congress is in recess, so it'll be at least until after the spring break. But we mentioned last week there's going to be pushback on this. And it, by the way, speaking of social media, I thought this was really cool. Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Um, a a guy, uh, let's see here, Duncan Thompson is his name. He's 53 years old. He is an English film editor by trade. And he had this wild thought, what would historical figures have done on social media if it were around back in the day. So <laughs> it says here, while the words, while, while the words of historical figures are enshrined in books and their images captured in numerous paintings and sculptures, what would they have done on Instagram or any of the other social media platforms? So uh, this guy, Mr. Thompson, decided to figure out exactly that. And he used artificial intelligence to replicate historical figures and what they would do on, on social media. And uh, sure enough, he's, uh, I guess he's shared these images now. He's got Jesus and the apostles mugging for a group selfie at the Last Supper. <laughs> Cleopatra and her court throwing up peace, peace signs in her palace. A victorious Queen Elizabeth I with her smiling army uh, at the 1415 Battle of Agincourt. Napoleon and his army got in on the action, too, in a uh, snap taken before the Battle of Waterloo in 1815. Even some cavemen and cavewomen are shown 
on a quest for likes on Instagram. Uh, Duncan Thompson used a, a program called Midjourney to take viewers on a journey through time. This technology could be used in schools, he says, as a new way of, of teaching and engaging kids with world history. It's like time traveling without a time machine. So I guess, okay. I guess there is maybe a practical use for that. But for the rest of us, it's just kind of interesting to imagine what historical figures might do, might have done if there were social media around at the time, you know, back in in historical uh, ages. I don't know. Jesus and his apostles mugging for a selfie at the Last Supper. That's just maybe a... A bridge too far, you know what I mean? There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Emcheck. Your WTOL 11 weather, mostly sunny today, a high of 64. Showers move in tonight, low of 52. The Finley Police Department is letting people know about Citizen Connect, an online tool that allows people to search incidents and cases where they live and work. Provides real-time data updates every 15 minutes. The program allows the citizens to search for incidents that have occurred, such as in their neighborhood or areas where they work, and it also allows them to sign up to be notified of any future incidents if they choose to do so. Lieutenant Hendren says being informed about criminal activity in your community is the first step in preventing future occurrences of crime. Learn more about Citizen Connect on our website. The Fostoria Police Division says a person of interest in a suspicious death in Bowling Green was arrested in Fostoria. The police department says 29-year-old Jimmy David Cole of Bowling Green was arrested on parole violations. Fostoria Police Chief Gabe Wedge said Cole is a person of interest in a suspicious death of a 23-year-old woman in Bowling Green. Get more on the website. Last month, federal investigators actually got sick while surveying in East Palestine after that toxic train derailment. The CDC says it was on March 6th, more than a month after the train derailment, when seven workers got sick. They were part of a 15-person team in East Palestine to assess the chemical exposure. They showed symptoms similar to what residents of East Palestine have been complaining about. Sore throat, headache, coughing, and nausea. The CDC says symptoms resolved for most team members within 24 hours. ONN's Yolanda Harris reporting. The Tiffin Drive-In Theater has opened for the 2023 season. We're a team of thieves. And when you do this, you're bound to make enemies. The drive-in opened on Friday with the release of Dungeons and Dragons. This year marks the 74th year for the theater, which opened in June of 1949. The theater has undergone a two-year renovation and plans are also underway to build a new children's playground and families will be able to bring their kids and let them run off some steam before the show at dusk. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So the uh, big news last week and all of the political political analysts and a multitude of individuals on both sides of the aisle pointed this out up until a few days ago, no current or former U.S. president had ever been indicted on criminal charges. But as they say, there's always a first time. And now that one has, the big question becomes, how might it change presidential politics both now and in the future? Professor Alan Sanders is an attorney, former Time Magazine senior reporter and professor emeritus of political science at St. Peter's University in Jersey City, New Jersey. He's been with us on the program multitude of times in the past. Professor Sanders, thanks very much for taking the time once again. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Chris. Now that we have had kind of a few days to digest the news and all of the knee-jerk analysis on the news shows over the weekend, what is your take on this indictment and the reaction to it? Well, I think the reaction to it is all political. Uh, and, of course, uh, the legal aspects of this, we don't know because we haven't seen the indictment. Right. And so before we reach any conclusions, uh, and uh, many politicians have reached conclusions without knowing what the charges were and what the underlying evidence for the charges were, uh, I think we need to wait and see what the indictment is. And we'll know that on Tuesday. And then we'll be able to evaluate uh, what the value of all the statements from all the politicians was really worth. Yeah, I, I think that is also an important important note uh 
even once the indictment is unsealed and we do know what the charges are, we still won't necessarily know the full breadth of the evidence to support those charges. So even after tomorrow, much of the quote-unquote analysis is going to be unsupported speculation. Well, that's right. And, you know, uh, although uh, this is an unprecedented event, uh, you know, the Constitution foresaw that. Uh, There's a clause in the Constitution that says uh, uh, executive officers can be tried for criminal offenses. It's not just a matter of impeachment and conviction of impeachment, but uh, everybody is to be judged under the law in the same way as anybody else. Even though this hasn't happened before with a U.S. president, and I want to get back to that uh, aspect, which is kind of interesting uh, here in just a moment. But uh, again, since we don't know what specifically the charges are, there's a lot of speculation. I'm not going to ask any legal opinion uh, on the charges themselves, but I am curious uh, from a legal sense uh, on, on this. Obviously, this is not the only criminal investigation involving the former president. So can you clear up the question of whether this indictment precludes other indictments or the prosecution of any of those other cases? Because some have suggested that maybe Alvin Bragg should have deferred to some of these more serious cases that are under investigation. No, uh, because each jurisdiction is responsible for handling legal violations as it sees fit. So you've got uh, Alvin Bragg, who's operating as a prosecutor in New York. Uh, You've got um, a Justice Department investigation of Donald Trump operating out of Washington. And you've got a Georgia investigation of Donald Trump operating out of Georgia. Uh, Those investigations operate independently, and that's the way it should. If there was real coordination, then people could really talk about a conspiracy. Uh, There's no conspiracy. Donald Trump Trump uh, is alleged to have violated various laws in various jurisdictions. Now, we know in New York that that's culminated in an indictment. We don't yet know uh, what, if anything, is going to culminate out of Washington or out of Georgia. But there's no conspiracy. Each uh, We've got, you know, 50 jurisdictions, 50 state jurisdictions, plus a federal jurisdiction, and they all operate really independently of each other. That's part of checks and balances. There's it, no conspiracy here, and there should never be. It, it would present some challenges, though, if uh, all of these cases uh, were to involve indictments ultimately and you're talking about multiple uh, court procedures and so on trying to coordinate all of those wouldn't it i mean that would be uh, incredibly complicated well that's an that's a real challenge for donald trump i mean um campaigning while you're under indictment yeah. out of new york or if you're in, under indictment out of other jurisdictions because it means that your attention has to be uh, really uh, focused on those things you want to of course protect your innocence and so it really raises questions as to whether uh, a campaign can really uh, do that plus remember uh, voters are always looking for what can you do for me they're really not interested in the personal baggage that a candidate has to deal with it's all about what can you do for me and if you're preoccupied with uh, saving your own skin, so to speak. Uh, that really puts a well, hardship I, on how you can successfully campaign. Uh, that is uh, that is a fair point, and it is it was pointed out. Uh, I can't remember which of the news shows over the weekend. Uh, the point was made that even though the Constitution doesn't preclude Mr. Trump from running or serving another term as president if elected. Uh, he might have to deal with court hearings or a trial at the very time when it's critical for him to be out campaigning for the office. So uh, that, again, going to be a thro- potentially throwing a monkey wrench into this campaign. Absolutely. Um, you know, the Constitution says you can serve. They're only uh, the qualification of the Constitution, which is basically citizenship, residence of New York, and uh, being a thir- at least 35 years right. old. But one thing I should point out is um, when you are elected president, uh, uh, you do have to swear an oath that you will defend, protect, and support the Constitution. I would suspect that if somebody who was indicted or convicted um, were to uh, get to that point, I think you'd see some lawsuits as to whether that person can actually live hmm. up to the oath of office. Yeah. So I'm not sure that a convicted person could actually serve as president, but certainly you can you can run as president. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting and remains to be seen, uh, which actually kind of leads to some of the other part of this discussion on the political side of things, you know, one of the first things that I thought of when the indictment was announced was that Obi-Wan Kenobi line from Star Wars, if you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And politically, uh, there has been some speculations that, um, 
I, I just I wonder if if Democrats are following the playbook of the midterms where they actively worked to get the most extremist Republicans on the ballot, thinking they would be easier to defeat in the general. And I wonder if that strategy might backfire with with Donald Trump, because it has certainly motivated his base. Yeah, well, I'm not sure. Uh, look, the views of Donald Trump are pretty much baked in. There's nothing that Donald Trump can do that will alienate his base. Um, and so, you know, anything he does or anything that happens to him will motivate the base. But let's not forget that that will also mo- motivate all of his opponents. Uh, there's this focus that, you know, the base gets all activated, but the anti-base does so as well. True. Um, and the fact of the matter is that Donald Trump has never won the popular vote in any general election he has run in. And there's nothing about what's going to happen um, in these proceedings that is likely well, to change anybody's mind. Although, uh, again, and and the the Trump campaign has been uh, touting the fact that in the first 24 hours after the indictment was announced, uh, they raised something like four or five million dollars. I've heard different numbers. Um, and and again, I'm wondering if the 2024 presidential race comes down to participation rate, which it often does. There are few things that will drive his supporters to the polls in great numbers than what they see as a persecution, not prosecution of their guy. That's true. It all comes down to uh, voting turnout, uh, as you point out. Uh, but, you know, in a campaign, if that campaign were to be dominated by Donald Trump's uh, legal woes and legal problems, I think you would see activation on both sides. Yeah. And yes, it would come down. It would come down to voting turnout. Uh, but again, uh, the voting turnout has always been against Donald Trump in general elections, not in primaries. Right. In primaries, it's quite clear that his base uh, dominates the primary uh, uh, process in the Republican Party. So, but the general election process is very different. So, uh, you know, that remains to be seen as to how successful he would be if he were under indictment. So it might be even greater of even greater concern for the faction of the Republican Party that would like to see us move on from Donald Trump because this, again, thrusts him back into the spotlight and you've seen all of the other candidates kind of consumed with talking about this indictment. So again, it brings uh, Donald Trump back to the fore. I want to mention or talk a little bit about the uh, long-term ramifications of this. The the New York Times published a piece over the weekend uh, pointing out that American politics actually has a long history of candidates who were either indicted or convicted of crimes, but sought office again. Uh, Former Texas Governor Rick Perry ran for president. He was charged with uh, political misconduct uh, while he was governor. Um, Marion Barry famously retook the D.C. mayor's office after his drug conviction, uh, which a lot of people thought that that was, you know, his career was over, but he uh, ended up getting reelected as mayor just four years later. There are a number of other fringe candidates uh, in that category as well. Like we said, it doesn't preclude Mr. Trump from running or serving necessarily in the Constitution, but this is not, while it's never happened to a president uh, before, it's not entirely unprecedented. Well, that's right. Uh, two things here. First, uh, look, if you did commit a crime and you've served out your sentence, um, there is a, 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 you know, some ideas here that, look, you've, you've paid your debt to society and, mm-hmm. and I, you're entitled to return to society and uh, continue your life and your professional career. So that's point number one. But point number two, I would say if you uh, separate out Donald Trump and any views that you have regarding to Donald Trump, pro or con, um, I think that, um, you know, if you've got a president or a former president that uh, can be proven to have committed a crime, uh, or at least there's probable cause to believe that he or she has committed a crime, an indictment is appropriate. The presidency has grown in such power, it's obtained such mythical views and, and, and influence mm. over American politics that I do think it's actually beneficial to democracy to cur- cut the presidency down to size. I'm not one of those who believes, look, it's terrible that the president is being indicted, no matter who the president is. Yeah. I think it's actually a good thing for democracy to cut the presidency down to size and mm. to say, look, nobody is really above the law. And yeah. if the president does things that are uh, suspicious, uh, there's probable cause to believe a crime has been committed, then it's fully appropriate um, to well, cut that uh, individual down to size and the office down to size. Well, that actually kind of leads to the other thing that I kind of wondered with respect to the long-term ramifications of this. And I think, 
you know, for 200 years, there was one president in history who had been impeached. It was something that we only talked about in the most extreme circumstances. And then Bill Clinton was impeached in the 1990s. And we've had three in the 30 years. And it seems like we talk about impeaching every president that we don't like. Uh, now that we have sort of crossed the bar of indicting a president on criminal charges, does that at all concern you that this then becomes another weapon in our political arsenal? No, because other democracies <clears throat> have done exactly that, and they've survived very well. Mm. Uh, the top leaders, whether they be president or prime ministers, um, you have examples out of France, out of Italy, out of South Korea, out of Israel, out of Iceland. Uh, the top leaders in these countries have at times been uh, charged and convicted and convicted. And I think all of them are strong and sturdy democracies, France, Italy, South Korea, Israel. Uh, nobody can complain that those countries have done uh, gone down the tubes as a result of having held their top leaders accountable. So I think if those countries are sturdy enough to withstand um, an, an indictment and a conviction of their top leaders, I see no reason why to think uh, that the United States is standing on less firm grounds here. I think it's quite an affirmation, actually, of democracy to be able to say, look, we had a top leader. We voted for him. We yeah. thought he was good. We thought he did great for the country. But guess what? Turns out to be a crook. Mm. Again, uh, Alan Sanders, attorney, former Time Magazine senior reporter, professor emeritus of political science at St. Peter's University in Jersey City, New Jersey. A lot there to uh, consider as we uh, look ahead to uh, the indictment tomorrow of uh, former President Trump and what may happen next in that case and the others uh, that are pending. Professor Sanders, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate your insight. My pleasure. Take care, Chris. So as we get outside more with the arrival of spring, worth pointing out that this is National Wildlife Week, reminding us that we share our planet with all sorts of wonderful animals, and it's important to protect it and them so that they can thrive. Uh, David Mizajewski is a naturalist with the National Wildlife Federation. He joins us this morning along with wildlife expert Peter Gross, host of uh, Wild Kingdom. And talk a little bit about National Wildlife Week, what it is and why it is so important. Sure. National Wildlife Week is one week out of the year that the National Wildlife Federation has designated since 1938 to really focus on celebrating wildlife and inspiring people to want to join the cause of conservation. And this year, we've teamed up with Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom again to get that message out there. And today's the first day. It lasts all week long. And our theme is exploring nature's playground. And what that's all about is just trying to get people to go outside. You know, take a trip to your local park, go for a hike, or even just go out in your neighborhood in your own backyard. Nature literally is all around us. And we know that when people get out into, into the great outdoors, they're going to have really cool observations. And that all, that really inspires people to want to get involved protecting nature. And that's really what the core is of National Wildlife Week. So if people go to nationalwildlifeweek.nwf.org, you're going to find out how to get involved. I am thinking that, you know, the proliferation of uh, animal videos that we all see uh, online, I wonder if that actually helps raise awareness because we see these videos, you talk about uh, nature's playground, see animals, uh, you know, playing. And I wonder when I watch these uh, things, do animals really play on that level? I mean, uh, akin to the way human beings do? Yes, they do. They, they, they do play. Um, as human beings do, but it's sort of a twofold purpose. When they're playing, they're also learning behaviors that are going to be helping them as adults in the wild. You see bears rolling and playing with each other. That's something they'll have to do as they meet other bears in the wild. You'll see otters rolling on their back, but they're going to have to balance abalone and break them open with rocks to be able to eat in the wild and then sun themselves as they lay near the kelp bed. You see mountain lions uh, that are playing with each other, stalking and cackling each other. Well, that's an essential part of them being able to survive in the wild. But it, what David has said, exactly what we're hoping to accomplish this week is enjoy nature. Get out there. Nature can be a playground for us as well as wildlife. And what we hope to accomplish is, well, eliminate the fear of nature. The earlier you start your young family going out in nature, spending time in parks, which maybe just going to a stream and looking what's under a rock in the water, or enjoying the trees of this this time of year back east, enjoying the sounds of the 
frogs vocalizing or the birds talking to each other this time of year. If you stop and look and listen, young people get connected. And the more they get connected with nature, the more time they want to spend in it. And the greater desire they have to want to save habitat like that and the wildlife that lives there. So that's part of our goal as well as going back to the website, National Wildlife Federation's website, and find out specifically what you might be able to do to help wildlife in the area in which you live. Obviously, you know, when we talk about the conservation aspect of all of this, we know that there are a number of species that are endangered uh, in the wild. Why is conservation such an important topic, even for those uh, like the animals we have in our backyard? We're talking, you'd mentioned the frogs and the squirrels and otters and things that are, are pretty common. Why is conservation so important as it relates to these animals that are not endangered? Well, think about it this way. Imagine a world where there wasn't wildlife, where we didn't have common species. It would be a pretty sad place. You know, if all we had were the, the cockroaches and the rats and the pigeons, <laughs> I think everybody can understand why it's important to save some of these wild areas. Again, even if it's right in our own yard. And again, that's what the National Wildlife Federation, that's our mission, is to make sure that not only do we save wildlife that are declining, but that we help keep common species common. And so, you know, when when it comes to the conservation effort, yeah, sure, there is a lot of bad news out there. A lot of species are rapidly disappearing. Mm -hmm. Right here in North America, one-third of our wildlife are at increased risk of extinction in the coming decade. But Peter and I both are here to give a message of hope. That's what National Wildlife Week is all about and Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, because we know how to protect and restore wildlife. We just have to make the commitment to do it. We've done it with animals like the bald eagle, like the California condor, which right. is featured in one of the new Wild Kingdom episodes. So, you know, we can do it. And it starts with taking the pledge on the National Wildlife Week website. And when people do that, they will get tons of more ways how they can get more involved. And that was going to be my next question. You know, we talk about getting out and starting to appreciate nature, especially at a young age, getting the kids out and, and appreciating uh, all of the wonderful wildlife uh, that's around them every day. So once we sort of, we sort of start spark that, uh, uh, spark that concern or spark that awareness, then how do we get involved in helping wildlife? Well, I, I think the first thing we need to do, since this generation has grown up hearing a lot of sort of gloom and doom about the state of our planet, is to look at the past successes we've had. When I grew up, I heard stories about the bald eagle that was going to disappear in right. the endangered species. The American alligator, it didn't come off until 1985. Rivers that were so polluted they would catch fire, and now you can eat the fish out of them. There's a series of five new shows that you can see on wildkingdom.com that we filmed last year called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, Protecting the Wild, which talks about such successes of animals that were, one of them, the black-footed ferret, was thought to have been extinct. They were rediscovered, collected in zoos, reintroduced back to the wild, and their populations are doing better. Um, stories about beavers and how they were trapped and hunted almost to decimation how uh, they've been reintroduced, and it helps the salmon. And the, the connectivity of so many species of animals, even yeah. the rodents you mentioned early, earlier, all things are connected in nature. So it's so important we keep this natural world intact as best we can. Again, uh, David Mizajewski, a naturalist with the National Wildlife Federation, with us along with uh, wildlife expert Peter Gross, host of the Wild Kingdom, talking about National Wildlife Week this week. And we mentioned the website a couple of times. We'll repeat that again so folks can get more information. Sure. The National Wildlife Week website is nationalwildlifeweek.nwf.org. You'll get lists of things on what you can do right now. And if you take the pledge that's there will send you even more gentlemen thanks very much for taking the time we appreciate it happy national wildlife week thank you well, if you follow the news at all you know that in the western part of the u.s the amount of rain that the and, and rain and snow that they have seen since the first of the year has been record-setting, and they have needed it to help break out of a decades-long drought that has seen water reserves there dip to the lowest levels in modern history. 
water troubles are not over necessarily, but the situation hopefully will be much improved. However, the same cannot be said for other parts of the world. According to the World Health Organization, the lack of consistent access to clean water is a major problem for 2 billion people that live in countries experiencing intense water stress. In fact, the gap between global water supply and demand is projected to reach 40% by 2030. Pretty dramatic numbers. Joining us is Michael Jacobs, sustainability and social innovation leader for corporate social responsibility at IBM. And Michael, those numbers say nothing about the billions of people affected by a lack of adequate uh, sanitation services, which is another component to this problem. So you are implementing something called the IBM Sustainability Accelerator. What is that? So that's IBM's flagship social impact program focused on the environment. This is the way that we use what IBM uses every day with our clients, our leading technology and expertise, this time to make a difference for the most vulnerable people on the ground. And as we said, with everything going on in the Western U.S. easing some of the drought issues in this country, are we kind of at risk of forgetting about these problems globally? And how can we improve equitable access to safe drinking water universally. Well, I hope we're not at risk for forgetting this, and we really appreciate your efforts here to help to spread the word. As you mentioned, the issues are myriad. This is about access to water in the first place. This is about the quality of that water and about the disasters that are worsening both of those. 90% of natural disasters are weather-related, including floods and droughts. So these issues are manifesting themselves in different ways all over the world. This is a great time to intervene. There is global attention and there's quite a bit of mobilization. IBM has issued an RFP or request for proposals from nonprofits and governments globally who need help in supporting the most vulnerable among us when it comes to water issues. Our plan here is to deploy technologies like AI for predicting future conditions or asset management tools for managing infrastructure already in place. We think that by more efficient management of water resources and better understanding the problems at hand, that we'll be able to help experts already tackling these issues and accelerate solutions for those most in need. So expand on that a little bit. Uh, What is uh, IBM, your company, IBM specifically doing to support those projects that can help with this initiative? So number one, we're engaging with communities and organizations already serving them to better understand the needs on the ground. And that's who we want to get proposals from. IBM's RFP, that request for proposals, will be open through the end of May. We'll review those together with experts from conservation and innovation leaders from around the world. And beginning in October, we'll work with about five selected organizations to build and deliver technology solutions. That process starts with the IBM Garage. It's our framework for unpacking an issue, designing solutions for it, and prioritizing that work. That's about the first three months of what's actually a two-year commitment by IBM to each of these partners, where we follow up the garage by actually delivering a technology solution. Think a mobile app to tell farmers when the best time to water their crops would be, or an AI tool to predict how much water will be available for them in the future. And we support the deployment of that solution, both in terms of hosting it on our cloud and helping the organization to onboard users, but also in training organizations and communities for them to be able to maintain this for the longer term. So how do organizations that might want to participate uh, apply uh, within this program, get involved with the sustainability accelerator? IBM.com slash impact. That's the landing page available online for all things IBM social impact. There are details there around how to submit a proposal, examples of prior projects, and more details on the types of support that we're offering. Again, IBM.com slash impact. We hope folks will visit that site and reach out. 
And is there an, an application deadline uh, for this? What what are the uh, details that uh, folks would need to know, organizations would need to know? May 31st, 2023. Okay. So yes, please do visit ibm.com slash impact, submit a proposal. We'll be in touch and expect to kick off projects this fall. Again, Michael Jacobs is Sustainability and Social Innovation Leader for Corporate Social Responsibility at IBM, talking about their sustainability accelerator and ways to um, make uh, adequate water supplies, good, clean water supplies available for people globally to eliminate this uh, widespread issue. Uh, And uh, Michael, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. So on Thursday, a 47-year-old patient by the name of uh, Matthew Chaco was taken to St. Luke's Morningside Hospital uh, in New York City for evaluation. (laughs) Uh, The ambulance that he had ridden in to the hospital was left unlocked with the key in the ignition and so uh, Mr. Chaco decided to hop in and <laughs> go for a drive. He just got in and drove away. Uh, took uh, law enforcement officers on a 25-mile joyride. <laughs> State police eventually used uh, spike strips to stop the vehicle on the uh, Mario Cuomo Bridge, uh, which is in, what, the uh, West in Westchester County? Um The man is now facing a number of charges, uh, unlawfully fleeing a police officer, driving while intoxicated, uh, grand larceny, and uh, several other crimes. Now I think we have an idea of why he was taken to the hospital for evaluation (laughs) in the first place. (laughs) We know why he was being evaluated. Yes, that's right. (laughs) It was just sitting there. The keys were in it. So I took it for a joyride. <laughs> if you're going to carjack a vehicle, should be something less conspicuous, you know, than an ambulance. Oops. Anyway. Uh, let's see here. Talk about bringing home the bacon in uh, Bedford County, Pennsylvania. Uh, 36-year-old Kelly Snyder uh, found that uh, bringing home the bacon does not mean that you can just take it and bring it home. You should actually pay for it first. Um, she was busted by state troopers for stealing a package of bacon from a Dollar General store on Sunday, March 26th, so last Sunday. The cops were called when a store manager noticed the woman leaving the establishment without having purchased anything, but then spotted her allegedly dumping out her purse under the seat of the car. Uh, the employee then walked to the car and observed two packs of bacon on her passenger seat before she drove away. Investigators tracked her to her residence where she allegedly copped to the cops that she did, in fact, steal the bacon. But here's the crazy thing. Because it was her third theft offense, she is being charged with a felony for swiping $11 worth of bacon. (laughs) A felony for $11 worth of bacon. I mean, again, if you're going to... Get your third strike. Wouldn't you make it a little bit more? Wouldn't you make it worth it? Just seems weird to me. I mean, I know bacon is uh, is very valuable <laughs> these days, but uh, that's a little much. Uh, let's see what else is going on in the uh, broken news, the odd and unusual side of the headlines. The principal of a charter school in Florida has been forced to step down after sending $100,000 of school funds to a scammer posting, uh, posing as Elon Musk. Jan McGee said someone saying he was Elon Musk offered to invest millions uh, into the Burns Science and Technology Charter School that she was uh, the principal of. In exchange, he wanted an upfront payment. I mean, you would think that there would be something amiss. You would think that being principal of the school, she would recognize 
that there was something fishy going on. Elon Musk contacting her out of the blue, saying he wanted to invest, but you got to send $100,000 first. But apparently she didn't think twice. Fortunately, a business manager at the school canceled the transaction before it could clear, but uh, board members uh, decided that uh, Ms. McGee uh, should no longer be employed (laughs) at the school. Yeah. No, nothing suspicious here. Elon Musk is asking for $100,000. This is kind of interesting. Uh, Last month, the Nebraska Law Enforcement Training Center uh, put out an ad looking for people to donate your livers for a good cause. Uh, This was the offer you could drink free for five hours as long as you agreed to perform field sobriety tests for new law enforcement officers (laughs) at the Nebraska Law Enforcement Training Center. I wanted to train people on how to do field sobriety tests, so you're going to do that. You need people who presumably would not pass the sobriety test. So (laughs) they were looking for people willing to drink for free for five hours so that then they could be put through simulated field sobriety tests. All that participants... They put this on Facebook. All that participants needed to do was send an email with their information, including their drink of choice. (laughs) Uh, The uh, Nebraska Law Enforcement Training Center has since updated the post to state that they are no longer accepting applications. (laughs) They had no trouble finding the number of people that they needed. Uh, The tests are set to take place next month, but they do say that they will uh, offer a similar program next year. So (laughs) there's always next year. (laughs) I'm sure that they had no trouble finding enough volunteers. (laughs) And how about this? Uh, This is a guy that probably could uh, fill that role. And you wouldn't even have to get him drunk to do it because he gets himself drunk, quite literally. A Florida man by the name of Mark Mangiardo uh, has found that he has a very rare condition that has flipped his life upside down. His body produces alcohol on its own. Have you ever heard of this? It is a real condition called autobrewery syndrome. And it makes Mr. Mangiardo appear intoxicated, even though he has not been drinking. And because, I mean, this is causing a lot of troubles in his life, because he has this condition where he appears drunk, even though he doesn't drink. He lost his job. Even his own wife believed that he was secretly sneaking off to the bar. Uh, Finally, he was diagnosed with this rare condition that turns sugar into alcohol in a person's stomach. Uh, To cope, he has to limit his carb intake and take about 30 pills a day to counteract the uh, condition. He said, I haven't had pasta or pizza or anything like that since I was diagnosed in May of 2019. About 60 instances of autobrewery syndrome have been described in medical literature. That's uh, how rare it is. Only 60 cases ever that have been uh, documented. No, wild. But if you wanted to be a, <laughs> wanted to be a volunteer test subject for field sobriety tests in Nebraska, he would be in good shape. That's wild. Uh, there you go. Uh, some of the odd and unusual side. Uh, some of the. The odd and unusual side of the headlines. Today's broken news report there. And we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And yet another major brand just announced it's halting all social media advertising. The two most overused and abused words in advertising are truth and trust. They are the two most precious commodities for all brands, big and small, as an advertiser. You have to trust your partners to protect your brand's truth using the media consumer's trust. Radio, it's on. This message provided by WFIN. 
Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. You know, this week, uh, right before Easter, leading up to Easter, is popular spring break time. A lot of families will get away with the kids out of school, out of school for a few days, uh, maybe get uh, an early trip in, get a, an early start on your summer vacation season, spring break time. If you feel like you need a vacation, you are right. A new poll from Pew Research shows that 46% of American workers take less time off than they are actually allowed. So the vast majority, 54% of us take less, um, 54% of us take all of the time off that, that we are allotted, but 46% of American workers uh, take less. That is a substantial number of people who are not taking all the vacation time that they are allowed to take. Some companies, and, and this is what makes this interesting, some companies uh, are now trying to uh, retain employees or lure new employees to jobs that they need to fill by offering unlimited time-off policies. And uh, the experts say that those who have unlimited time off don't generally take any more time away from work than those who have a restricted amount. And like we said, 46% of those people don't take all of the time that they're allotted as it is. So unlimited time off is not necessarily that big of a deal. Uh, the data shows that many workers just ain't buying it. And and why are we not taking all of our time off? Well, the survey, which, by the way, nearly 6,000 employees uh, involved in this survey, 49% say they feel that if they did take all the time off that they were allotted, uh, they would fall behind at work. And they'd make more work for themselves when they got back. So it is not worth taking it. Um. Uh, 19%, especially workers under the age of 50, said that they felt it would hurt their career in the long run if they took too much vacation. They didn't want to be seen as that guy or that gal that takes all of their time off for some reason. 19% say it would hurt their careers. 12% of those in the poll said that managers actively discourage them from getting away, which that is a bit troubling. And 52% just felt that they don't need all of the time off that they are allowed. Obviously, all of this is very different than our counterparts in Europe, where they take a lot more time off uh, than we do, and it's seen as a good thing. Instead of managers actively discouraging people from taking time off, they encourage workers to take time off, believing it makes them better employees for the time that they are there. Uh, in addition to all of these uh, numbers from this survey, lower-income employees were more likely to feel that they would be penalized for taking all of their allotted time, and higher-paid employees were more afraid of passing their workload on to their colleagues. So that one of the other things that keep people in those income groups from taking all of the time off that they uh, have available to them. So something to think about uh, as we head into spring break and summer vacation season. Okay, so spring weather far finally starting to take hold now, and more of us are getting back outside, getting more physical activity. Joining us today is five-time Ironman world champion triathlete Craig Alexander with some tips and advice on how to avoid the sprains and the strains and all of those other injuries that come along with that activity, as well as the best way to recover from an injury if it happens. So, Craig, first of all, what's the best way to prevent those injuries? And we That's the first thing. We want to prevent them if we can uh, when you start getting out and, and revving up a fitness routine. I suppose I should also ask, is there any real difference if you are starting a fitness routine versus restarting a fitness routine? Well, you raise a good point. Prevention is always better than cure. So you want to be proactive um, with your exercise and prevent the injury. I think there is a little bit of a difference. I think if you're someone who's done quite a bit of exercising in the past and you're just restarting, there's a little bit of muscle memory there and 
you know, there's an old saying that the body doesn't forget. So whilst you'll be a little rusty and you should start slowly and patiently, I think your body will remember quite quickly and, um, you know, I think you'll slip back into the routine yeah. a little bit quicker than if you're starting up for the first time. But, you know, I think, as you mentioned, the weather's starting to turn. More and more people are looking to get outside and exercise. And I think um, some good advice is whatever level you're at, uh, from elite to beginner, is just aim for consistency. Um, that's the goal. Understand what your current current level is. It's, it's not where you're going to end up. It's just where you are now. So you want to be patient, not overreach in the beginning. And also be realistic about the time that you have available to you and just, yeah, really try and aim for that consistency. You also talk about the importance of listening to what your body is telling you with respect to learning when you may be overdoing it a bit. Yeah, well, I think, you know, when we talk about consistent training, we're also, I guess, inadvertently or implying recovery because, you know, when you train, you want to recover uh, so that you can do it again in in a couple of days. Um, and that's how we improve. That's how we gain fitness is by repetition. So um, recovery is also a focus. And I think listening to your body is, is a key part of that. Um, you know, we're lucky that technology and innovation has come in to all areas of life. Um, and that's, that's true for sport as well. And there's a lot of wearable tech that can track our sleep quality, um, our energy expenditure, our heart rate. And this is all useful information if you know how to use it. But I think some of the best information is just the cues, the feelings that our body gives us. I mean, I think we're the best judge of whether we need more rest and recovery or whether we can, you know, push on and overload a little more. So that's always a, a tough balance uh, to get right. But I think, you know, just because we have so many devices now that track every parameter, um, it's still well advised to listen to the cues and the, the signs that your body's giving you. So with respect to that technology that can help us uh, maximize the effectiveness of uh, whatever kind of activity that we are doing, what are some of those uh, new advancements with respect to uh, training and, again, as we're talking injury prevention, recovery, all of those things? Yeah, I think the, the most exciting advancement that I've seen in recent times is um, kinesiology tape that incorporates the infrared technology. Um, it's a new product. It's part of the Curate Performance Series. I mean, I think sports tape has been used for decades. Um, I used it throughout the majority of my career where you tape either an ankle or a knee or, or a problem area to provide support, maybe try and stimulate a bit more muscle activation, um, correct movement patterns. I think that usage of tape is well known and recognized. Mm -hmm. But this latest technology that incorporates the far infrared technology in the kinesiology tape, I think is really exciting. Um, it still does all of the things that provide support and encourages muscle activation, but um, by using the body's energy, it can also increase localized blood flow. And of course, that means more oxygen to an area, which means better recovery. So that's, I think, the most exciting innovation that I've seen in spoils products for quite some time. As we mentioned, uh, you know, it's always better to prevent injuries uh, before they happen, but uh, it's going to happen, even to the best of us. It, it's, uh, it happens. So talk a little bit about some of the recommendations you would have for those, you know, not only prevention of, but recovery from uh, a, an injury that may come up. Yeah, well, again, you raised a good point because, you know, they say prehab is better than rehab. Um, the goal is to be proactive um, and do things ahead of time to hopefully prevent the injuries and, and move better. Unfortunately, injury is, is part and parcel of being an athlete um, and exercising regularly at, at all levels. So um, if you do sustain an injury, I think the first thing to do is to treat the symptoms. The main one is usually pain, but also movement dysfunction. Um, I would then seek expert advice. Um, you know, you want to get to the cause, the underlying cause of the problem, and that can be usually lack of strength, lack of flexibility. Uh, so it can be a strength and conditioning issue. It can be a biomechanical issue. Um, so you need to get that rectified. And then once you've you've treated the underlying um, cause of the problem, it's, it's time to get back to regular exercise. So you need to incorporate some products that help you do that. And 
that would be like restarting your exercise routine again. So you want to sort of alleviate that muscle soreness. You can use a topical analgesia for that and, and also taping and braces just to provide that support to the areas that you've been working on until you can reintegrate pain-free back into your normal routine. Getting back active again is a good thing, certainly, but we don't want to overdo it, and we want to make sure that we do the right things if we do end up uh, injuring ourselves, which is going to happen. Again, five-time Ironman world champion triathlete Craig Alexander with us this morning. Some ideas and tips and advice on uh, managing uh, that fitness routine. Where do we get more information, Craig? Well, I'll just leave you... You listeners with one message, be patient, be consistent, and be vigilant. And anyone interested in embarking on a training re- regime, I would suggest get started. It's great. Great for health and wellness. Great for mental health. If you're keen to check out the Curad Performance Series of products, head to curad.com, walmart.com, or amazon.com. You'll find the full range of products. If you're interested in, interested in some training tips, and some advice and resources about how to get started, head to my training platform, sensego.co. We've got a lot of great information there that's quite simplified and will just help you get started. And that's the most important thing, just getting started. Amen to that. Craig Alexander, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Have a great day. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, and that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, spring, of course, means spending more time outdoors as the weather gets nicer. Not just us, but our pets as well. We'll tell you how to avoid some of the dangers that can threaten our four-legged family members. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.